Morning Grinders. Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter. And uh, and normally on Mondays, we'd have James McCool, right? The co-author with me of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can find at theoryofdfs.com. But apparently uh, he's on vacation. Apparently his, he was on a road trip and uh, he's in the middle of nowhere now. So we don't we don't have him today. So it's no Mondays with McCool. You just, it's just me. It's just me. It's me and the chat room on YouTube, right? Give me, give me those thumbs up. Give me the thummy thumbs, right? I got the apple juice here, right? Give me those thummy thumbs. Got a subscribe button if you're new here. Notification bell if you know if you know when we go live. And I got Suki Singh, Hong Lawrence. We got all the regulars: Matt Mears, Jane Newman, Daniel Hutchins, and whatever. And uh, and and yes, and uh, yes, uh, thank you, and whatever, right? Everyone's congratulating me. On, on the biggest single contest uh, win of my DFS career. And uh, that that was, uh, I, I've been doing on Fridays, you notice I've been doing these MMA little like little segments and being like, okay, this is what, this is what I look, I'm looking for in MMA, right? Because, you know, I don't really do MMA content. I mean, and MMA is not even like the biggest sport that I play or anything. And, uh, and I've said, here's where the edge is. It's just a matter of, can you realize it can, if the chalk fails, this is what's going to win. And uh, the week before, won the 555 for 15,000. The week before that, came in fourth in the large field with fourth for 4,000 bucks. And then finally, uh, this past uh, Saturday, 13 fight card for US, UFC 265, uh, came in first place. A, th- a three way tie for first, but first was 200,000, second was 100,000. So, uh, $116,666.67. I won a total of 120000 overall uh, with all the other lineups and all the other contests and everything else. So uh, so I did it. I finally, I did it, right? Took, it took me. It took me a while to finally realize, realize my EV in, in MMA because I knew I was building plus EV lines. I knew I was. I mean, and just it's a matter of can, can the right shock fail at the right time? And, ha- and get unique lineups. So m- most of my lineups, I had 34, I had 94 entries into uh, this uh, large field contest. Uh, I had 34 uniques and I had uh, 50 under 10. So out of 94, like, because under 10 would have at least given me like 40,000 or something like that. Because it's, it's, a, it's a bigger, you know, 200,000 a first. I try to aim, you know, under five, that's what I aim for. If I get under 10 uniques, that's fine. Anything more than 10, I, I'd rather not have, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Sometimes I end up with lineups that are duplicated 54 times. Yeah, some, sometimes it happens. I try to avoid it, but that's why in the beginning of a slate, I always look at that type of stuff and go like, as long as I'm unique enough, like, like I'm good. When I, when I see that I barely made any unique lineups and I have a lot of lineups that are over 10 uniques, that's it. But the slate hasn't even started. The first fight hasn't even started. And I'm I'm already pissed. Right. I I did something wrong. So so this finally this finally happened. And uh, someone said before in the chat, uh, lifetime supply of apple juice. Right. Hog Lawrence. Yes. Yes. I can buy all the apple juice I want. Right. I got the little ones, the little mott ones, mott's ones today. And uh, Jerome Lewis is how much for your MMA Excel model? Uh, 
I I did a video. I recorded it yesterday. It's on the Roto Grinders YouTube channel. Okay, you'll see here how I won 117,000 playing MMA DFS. I did an entire video explaining everything. So like it's 54 minutes long. Feel free to watch that. You, I, I, I mean, I literally you could build this exact Excel spreadsheet. Pretty much, you did the only thing you, you don't know the formula for the rating. Uh, you could, you can, but the concepts. I mean, I this is what I show on the pregame show. Okay, everything involving this spreadsheet is everything involving game theory of DFS play in any sport, right? MMA is just easier because it's like the betting lines are so obvious and that's pretty much all you need to know. Like you don't need to like, you don't need to project people for like how much they're going to score, like in a fight as much as you do in basketball or football or baseball. And obviously those are team sports. So there's more, correlation in lineups and more one guy affects this guy type of stuff mma is just 13 fights one guy fights another guy or one woman fights another woman and typically typically stacks don't win first place in large field gpp so for the most part you're not playing guys against each other and then build unique lineups and build plus ev lineups and i just use this as a guideline of which fighters are more unique and more plus ev than others based on the betting lines versus uh, their ownership and then that's it. And then you build, and then you build lineups. It's, it's, it's not, it's not really that complicated. But this is exactly what I show you every every weekday here for for baseball or football or basketball. We talk about oh, what's the best stack of the day? Well, it's not about who's going to score the most points. It's what's the probability of them scoring the most points versus how much they're going to be owned by the field. So you're looking to exploit what. Everyone else is doing, right? So the biggest concern to you is not predicting what's going to happen. It's predicting what other people are going to do. So that's that's all of how I play MMA. Most of, most of these fighters, unless they were on a slate previously, I don't even know what they look like. I mean, yeah, I knew Don. I knew Lewis, Bobby Green even. Uh, I mean, I've seen Jose Aldo. He's been fighting for long enough. But some of these, like Menafield, I remember from, from a card. But like most of these, I have no idea, not no clue what they look like, right? No clue whatsoever. I mean, other than the picture that's on the, the DraftKings screen, never, I don't watch any of their fights. I have no clue. I'll listen, I'll listen to the, the MMA podcast here on, uh, on Roto Grinders for premium members and, you know, read the stuff and go, okay, well, they're more of a wrestler type and they're more of this type and they won this last fight, you know, just as background information. But other than that, it's just like, nope, but whatever the numbers say, that's 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 what I'm that's what I'm gonna do, right? <laughs> that's what I'm gonna do. And uh high large DFS, what's the quickest way to determine uniques? You could do that in Excel, or you could there, there's there's actually like on GitHub, there's a little program. There's also a site for M if you play MMA DFS, DFS sweat, DFS. Where is it? DFS sweat. Let's see if this loads. Like it'll show you. You could look at uh, all lineups. Like it'll show you all the lineups in here. Go to pros. So you see here, Blender HD 34 uniques. So if you just want to know how many uniques you have, like and you play MMA, like you could find that on dfssweat.com where you could, you could do it in Excel. You could just see 
Like how many do you have under 10? You use the unique, you use an array and the unique functionality of Excel to count the rows. So you're basically counting the six rows and you're going, which of these are you, how many of these are there for this person, right? For this user in the username column, right? So it's, it's an Excel thing you could do. Uh, it's not, it's not, it's not that complicated, but if you want to just see uniques in MMA, uh, dfswet.com could, could just simply just show you that easily. If you just want to know that number. Uh, but yeah, so every, everything is in, is, is in that video. The, the only thing that I added, if you saw from Friday, is that uh, to get like, I had these rate, these ratings. So which takes all this information and, you know, gives me like a plus minus EV type of thing. Not, not, it's not technically, it's not a dollar 80. It's just whatever. It just comparatively rates the fighters to one another. And that's based on uh, an average, an ownership, projected ownership average. But now that we, now that I know what the ownership is, like once it locks, I can now put that in and recalculate and re whatever this rating would be. Had I known it was 46%, had I known it was this, right? Because I have like some, some, some people like Derek Lewis, I have, I calculated his rating at, at low 0.71 at 19% ownership. He ended up coming in at 26% ownership, which means his rating was even worse, right? So I, I already didn't have much of Ode Osborne and Derek Lewis, but based on, based on what their actual ownership, because I thought those guys were bad plays at 21 and 19% though. They were 28 and 26% though. So knowing that I would have, would have possibly had even less of that. Right. And I didn't, it's not like I had much of Ode Osborne, but Derek Lewis, I think I had, uh, yeah, Derek Lewis, I had 14%. I may have only I stuck him in this 6% range. Had I known he would be even more owned than that. So I look at all of this and it turns out that Manel Kopp, who I had the most, I would, he was my most exposed fighter because he was the highest rated fighter in my model. He was even, he was even less owned than 23%. It was 19%, which made him even better by far more so than some of these other Menafield and Munoz actually went down. They were more owned like Munoz. I had average owned at 34%. He came in at 47%, which didn't make him like a bad play, but didn't make him anywhere near as good at 34% though. So if I take a look at my like Munoz, 47%, I probably would have had something more like 30 had I known he would be that owned. So I just added this little section kind of a, a teaching tool type of section. So I could go in the beginning of a slate before it starts and go, okay, what's the ownership of all these guys? And then see and go, okay, I, I'm, had I known this, did I have the right types of lineups? And for the most part, other than Luque, who happened to be in my winning lineup, uh, Luque was like the worst play out of all of the favorites on the slate. I didn't have, I didn't even have much of them. To begin with, item 11%. He ended up he ended up coming in the winning lineup that I won with. But had I known he was even worse than I had because he was going to be even more owned, I may have only had Luke K in like 6% of the lineups. Maybe, maybe the lineup that I won with wouldn't have gotten made. Maybe. So sometimes you, you get, I was good. I was going on the right side with like Cop and Gatto. But Luke, you know, I end up with only 6% Luke instead of 11%. And, uh, and this lineup may not have, may not have existed. So sometimes you got to get lucky. Sometimes you got to get a little bit lucky. Right. 
making 94 lineups and hopefully uh, hopefully make the right one. But if you see here, this lineup, it's uh, missing. The top four owned fighters all did not make the optimal lineup. So you have here all these 46, 46, 47, 34. Munoz, Munoz ended up at 37% owned. All the top four owned fighters did not score enough. Like they didn't do badly, right? Munoz didn't do badly. Uh, Manifield only got 73. Gon got 89. And Munoz lost. So he only got like maybe 30. But the, the fighters that I had higher ended up scoring 100 plus. Gatto 100 plus. Cop, Cop 100 plus. Penne 100 plus. Right, taking a look at the lineup. So like they just, just based on pricing, Luke was 8,500 and outscored Munoz and Gon for cheaper. So he was able to fit in this lineup that spent all five, 50K worth of salary. So I spent 50K worth of salary and still was only duped two, more, two other times. It was a three dupe. So it's not a matter of, oh, do you leave a lot of salary off the table always? Like, well, it depends on the lineup. In a lineup where you're fading the four highest owned fighters, you spend 50K. I mean, it's not going to be, it's not going to be used that much. But if this had, you know, two high owned 40 plus percent fighters, then that's a lineup that you spend 49, two, 48, right. Just to avoid heavy duplication. So these are all the concepts that I taught. There's nothing, there's nothing new. There's nothing proprietary. There's no nothing. Just using game theory to build lineups that are plus EV. And then you hope to last like survive long enough for the bigs, right? If you look at my roto tracker right now, like now I'm having a very good, right? Right, I went went from, okay, I'm going up, I'm down, four, I'm up to 31,000. I go on a downswing in the beginning of baseball season, come up a little, come up a bunch, you know, 36,000 and now bing, 150,000. So this is, this is, this is what, what my year looks like. And if you take a look at my, if I just go to my MMA graph and this is my lifetime, right? So now I'm, I'm over a, a, a half a million dollars lifetime in just under six years. So you see it, but that's what you're doing. You're just like, can I go up? I'm going to go down, 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 bing, down, 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 bing, down, 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 bing, down, 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 woo, really big, big, right? So you just want to, you don't want to go broke in the time. You want to tread water. You want to win a little, lose a little, win a little, lose a little. Try to get a tread line a little bit up and survive long enough. Play plus TV lineups and realize your realize your expected value so but if you take a look at mma for instance if we just do mma i play 28 slates total because i started last year during covid then didn't play a bunch in january in the winter or whatever because nba look i lost all this in, in mma right started you know last june just learning pretty much down, 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 down. Look, down 7,300, down 7,500, down 9,600, down 10,004, down 11,003, down 12,000, right? And then up a little, okay, got up, uh, you know, a nice $2,500 hit up here. Okay, but still not enough, right? You have to come in first in these contests, right? You have to come in really high and you want to have it so you're not duplicated 8 million times and you're only getting $8,000 or something. Right. So I'm up, up here. Okay. I tread water. Then I'm down, 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 down to minus 16,000, minus 17,000. And then I get up, oh, oh, that's a $4,000 win. But it's still not enough. I still need to, I need to survive. I need to get the big, big bink. 
And you're just playing plus EV lineups and just waiting, waiting for the opportunity, right? You jumped in, treading water, down, up, down, 100, up, uh, here's 2,500. So it's like, okay, you know, I'm getting a little bit of my money back, but I'm surviving in order to, to win that big bink. And then you go, and then I go up a little, went 800. Then, then obviously this is the, the week before, I won 15,000 in the, in the 555. And then the next week, 116,000. Then this is what a GPP player's graph looks like. I mean, this is, I mean, it's a very small sample size of 28 slates. But if we expend, if we extend it out, if we look at uh, category, let's go by no, in a categories. Uh, should be, yeah, or well, they just added a bunch of stuff. Okay, GPP. If I look at my GPP overall, like that's what it's going to look like from a long, like obviously I could zoom out and see that type of thing, right? Down, 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 down. Look, look at down, down, lose, 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 lose. Big, big bink, big bink, da, 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 down, big bink, down, 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 big bink. You know, little, little here, little, I mean, that should look like steps, right? Looks like little slopes and then big steps, hopefully big steps. So in 20, you know, obviously in 28 slates, I mean, I mean, this is over the course of, you know, playing every day, playing baseball, basketball, football, you know, everything. MMA only happens once a week, right? And they have weeks off. Next week we have off. So in the course of 28 slates, so over 100 slates, it's going to look like they did 116,000 and I'm going to start coming down. I'm going to go 116,000, lose 1,000, lose 1,000, lose 1,000, lose 1,000, lose, you know, and hopefully, you know, big spike, you know, 50,000, 60,000. That's what I play for large field GPPs to do something like that. So that's what it's supposed to look like. So when people say, it's like, oh, I'm playing these large field GPPs and I'm losing, you know, I'm losing 80, 90% of the time. It's like, yeah, that's that, that's what you should be losing. That's what, I'm not even cashing most of my luck. Yeah, that's what it should be. That's, in order to aim for first, that, that's what you need to do. And if you're not aiming for first in these contests, in these large field you know, 34, 5,294 entries on a 13 fight card, when there's tons of lineups that are being duplicated, like you got to aim for first with as little duplication as possible. We played this out. If you kept on playing slates and just started playing like chalky type lineups and like, I don't care if I get duplicated 180 times, like you're not going to win enough money. You're gonna, after you go five years doing that, you're like, well, it feels like I win more often than not. And yet I'm, why am I down 10 grand? Why am I down 20 grand? Yeah, you just bled your money away. Right. Because you never you, and you never had any of those big paydays. Right. Because you didn't aim for them. And you realize that with the rake at 15 percent and duplicate, you have the winning lineup, but you're tied 180 ways like it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. For that slate, it's like, oh, yeah, well, I don't mind just getting uh, seventy two hundred dollars when first place was supposed to be one hundred thousand, you know, to first alone. And you're like, well, I, I did that three times. Right. It's like, I came in first place three times when it was tied 120, 180 ways or whatever it was. But you're still paying the same amount of money. You're still paying $20 an entry, $25 an entry, $18 an entry, whatever it is, 15 bucks. I'm paying, I'm paying 25 bucks an entry for this contest, yet most of my lineups have a shot at winning six figures. Your line, lineups only have a shot at winning like $8,000, $12,000. So it's like over the course of time, like, I'm going to end up making more money than you, even though I'm going to lose like 90% of the time, right? That's the point. That, that is what DFS GPP play is. 
And Daniel Hutchins says it's right. Sounds like MMA is a lot like Showdown. I I've compared that a lot. Said play M and playing MMA is very is it's almost simpler, but it's very similar mentality as NFL Showdown. But there's no captain spot. There they do have a TV slate. That it's not the main slate that they have a captain spot for the TV cut. Like it's an eight for eight fights, like the last after the prelims. But that it's a smaller prize pools. But for the main slate, it's just you're picking you're just picking six fighters. There's no multipliers or nothing. Uh, so you have to think much more like NFL showdown. Other than the fact there's no positions and no captain mode, but yet you're 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 thinking of the duplication factor matters a lot, right? Trying to win first solo or with very few duplication. So if you're good at NFL showdown, if you're good at NBA, the, the, the short, slow showdown type of stuff, you could be perfectly fine in MMA, and especially with, you know, all these results being very linear. Like one fight doesn't, have, there's no correlation between fights, right? Well, if this guy wins this fight and this woman wins this fight, like, no, that, that, this, you don't have to worry about that. So I just wanted to show that. And uh, and we have G-Man Boy 416. Thank you very much. This guy is legit. Started watching and listening to all his content and I'm making the most money I've ever made in DFS. And I've been playing since the draft street days. Oh yeah. So you've been playing, you've been playing longer than I have, right? I didn't start playing until October, 2015. So there you go. Uh And Brian C. asked about the profit trade. That's Rototracker. So if you go to rototracker.com, uh, I mean, there's a limit to how you could use it for free. I mean, I pay for it. It's an, I write it off as an expense. But I, up, I update that, you know, once a week, once every two weeks or whatever. A lot, a lot of sharp players only update it when they, when they win a big tournament. They, you know, they just win big. But me, I, I, like, I like analyzing my Rototracker at least, at least twice a month. Depends on what I'm playing, right? Sometimes if I'm playing a lot of head-to-heads in a sport or something, maybe, you know, I want to make sure I'm playing the right people, right? Who I'm doing well against, who I'm not doing well against, stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, a roto tracker to me, like, that's the only way to track everything. It's it's never going to lie to you, right? You you think you've been playing you've been playing DFS for three, four years, and you're like, oh, yeah, I think I'm a profitable player. And you put it in, you're down to $37,000. Like, it's not going to lie to you. Right? You may think one thing, oh, I, I'm great in these games. And you find out that you're not. And actually, I'm doing well in this. And you didn't even realize it, right? Like, to me, that, that's, that's the most important thing, right? Who you're playing against, what you're playing. Contest selection, right? You want, you're building the same lineups, but you can win more money. So just do that. <coughs> Daniel Hutchins says in Showdown, You, it's almost like you have three contests in one, either a huge prize, prize for first, a medium prize for first, or steak knives. In the last case, the MMEers literally cannot win. That's correct, right? You, you play 150 lineups, and the winning lineup is a chalk, like, dupe train. Like, basically, the entire contest has, be, has become negative EV. Like, the entire thing, because it's a 150-way tie for first, and second, the second-best lineup is still 151st place for, like, what? for 4x maybe or something like that so so yes but that's why you don't play for those right i know on the slates where the chalk where those chalk dupe trains hit that it i'm never gonna have that line 
Like, it just, unless it's by accident. So that's going to be a losing slate. My goal is to win the low scoring slates where the chalk fails, where the, you know, the dupe trains are, are done and have as many non-duplicated lineups or less duplicated lineups as possible. It's, 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 it's DFS 101 type of stuff. It's expected value 101. It's like on, on, a, sl- on a slate where uh, if, if, you ran, if you ran out, if you did a simulator, I'm, assu- I'm assuming, Daniel, if you ran out the simulation uh, you, of the contest, and any time a lineup that with more than, than 20, maybe, maybe 20, depends on, it really depends on how much the first and what the, what the cost of the contest. But I think it, maybe, maybe, maybe 30, definitely 50. But if you do, let's say you do 50, like any lineup that's duplicated 50 or more times, run the simulation of that, that being the winning lineup and then what the lineups look like and then run that contest 10,000 times, everyone's unprofitable. Like just every, like it, it, like everyone becomes unprofitable. So in a, in a contest, even like your 51st lineup, in the 52nd line, like it's, it's, impos- it's impossible to be profitable. So on, so on slates where that happens, there's no lineup that if, if you played it, if we ran the slate over and over again, and that happens, there's no lineup that's long-term profitable. So because that's the case, then what's the, what's the point of making lineups for that win condition? You're just, you might as well make 10 of those lineups than 150 of any other lineup. Because then if those lineups win, like all, it makes all of your other lineups unprofitable. It makes all of your lineups unprofitable. If you understand what I'm saying. Uh, let's see, go through the YouTube chat. Yeah, we got a short slate uh, what, uh, tonight, right? At 6.10, make sure make sure you know it's an early on, on DraftKings. It's a four-game slate on FanDuel at, at 7-ish or whatever, whatever, and 6.10 on DraftKings. So I know people will be like, oh, it's 6.30, and there's, oh, my CSV, oh, I forgot, you know. So remember, 6.10 Eastern on DraftKings. But uh, feel free to post in the YouTube chat. Any questions, as always, here, here to answer your strategy questions. Uh, Dario Rosenstock says, I can see from your Excel sheet that both main event guys were over-owned. Does the larger slate size also contribute to playing more lineups without the main event? Uh, Dario Rosenstock also says, because even in a decision, those guys can put up more points, but the larger the slate, the more chances there are for six other fighters to put up bigger scores. So yeah, yes, that is true, but it's also dependent on the actual fighters. Like this was a 13 fight card. So you're right. On a, on a 10 fight card, on a smaller card, there's, there's, there's smaller chances, right? Of getting six finishes, right? Because typically around one finish and inside the distance, you know, second round finish leads to a 90, 100 plus point score. If it's a 15 fight card and there's only one main event five rounder, there's 14 other three round fights that, you know, that they, you could find six people that outscore the main event winner, right? Because there's more opportunities to. Very similar to baseball, right? Well, there's, you stack when there's a 15-game slate because there's the chances of one of those teams paying off a 15, a five, a five-man stack is much more likely because there's, there's there's 30 teams on the slate rather than 10 teams on the slate. So it's very similar to that. But it also depends on the actual that the what the fighters are. This is a heavyweight fight. Okay. And it's reflected in the projection. That's why I include the projection in here. 
So while gone has plus 100 inside the distance, still only 350 in the first round. So like he has a higher inside the distance odds because it is a five round fight, but his round one odds in comparison to Menefield, Munoz, Cop, right? Even, even some like, like 350 and 450 aren't even that dramatically different. 18% versus 22%, right? The reason is inside the distance is high is, is 100, which is still not one of the high, is still not the third, only the third highest on the slate is because he has five, he has five rounds to get that finish. But it's not expected for him to get into the first round in comparison to some, some other fighters. And Derek Lewis, on the other hand, like he projects so low because if he doesn't get a finish, he doesn't score well. Like Derek Lewis will never score well in a decision because he, he only throws like one punch at a tight throw. There's like two punches around. Right. And and especially gone. Gone's average projection here was 89. A lot of times, like on the Strickland fight, this projection would have been like 110. Right. He would have that he would have projected better. So, like, let's say he was a better fighter for scoring. Like, I'll put that in right now. Instead of 89 as the average projection, let's just say, just to skew this completely, like 200 to make his average projection 129. Well, now he rates so much better. Because, yeah, while his inside the distance in round one isn't as good as some other fighters, he makes it up in a decision that he, he could score a lot of points. Right? So that's, that's what I'm looking at. What was the number over here? What was the number? 89? 89? It was 89 total. So what? 85? 83? 82? 81? <laughs> I don't remember what. Okay, that's good enough. I mean, I'm going to change all this anyway. Who cares about this information now? <clears throat> so that all that all, all about like what a main, the reason why the main event tends to get rostered more and, and owned is because you have five rounds to score points rather than three. But that doesn't mean anything. Like it's more correlative that a first round finish, second round finish is more correlative to a hundred point score than a decision win, no matter how long it goes. So yeah, there are certain, there are certain fighters like, like volume strikers and grapplers that their projection based on, in my model, it'll, it'll account for it. the weight of this projection will, will help them. That we could also see here like Chiesa, right? He's a, more of a wrestler. So his projection is higher than some of these people, right? We have Casey Kenny a little bit higher here, right? So that's made up for in this in this average projection that if they score well, even in a decision. But your goal in large field GPPs, I'm aiming for 100 plus points. Like that's what I'm aiming for. And yes, there are certain fighters that could score 100 plus points in a three round decision. And when you have a five rounds to do it and you could score a takedown in every round, get ground and pound and everything. Yeah, your projection will end up being higher. So it'll account for that in this rating. But for the most part, I'm looking for, give me, give me six fighters that win in the first round. Like if, if I optimize just for that, that's a 600 point score, a six, six fighters, that's, that's going to win. It doesn't matter if they're in the main event and it doesn't matter what the prices are. If you hear, I, I, I have not mentioned anything about, well, did I get value out of a fight? I don't care about getting value. I need the I need the nut lineup. I'm playing large field not with non-duplicated lineups. I don't care that that uh, that uh, 
so like uh, Jose Aldo made value. Made value. Is he in the optimal lineup? No. So he, he, might, he might as well have scored zero. It doesn't matter to me. Right? It's like, oh, okay. You know, Miles John scored like, I think, 89 points at 8,900, 86 points. And it's like, well, I mean, he could end up in the optimal at that score. He would need like a lot of these people to fail. But for the most part, 86 points ain't going to cut it. Regardless of the price, it doesn't even matter what the price is. You're like, well, at 8,900, that's it. Oh, if I get if, if I get 86 points from one of these guys down here, yes, it's more likely they'll be in the optimal if the high price guys also put up 100 plus points. But we've seen we've seen cards where some 7K fighter puts a wins with 85, and you're like, how is he not in the optimal? He's the lowest the lowest price fighter. And he got 85. He could fit into every line. And then it's a it's a 14 fight card, and there's eight finishes. So there's set there may be seven fighters with 100 plus point scores. And that that low price guy with 85 still nope not and doesn't end up in the nut lineup, even though at the beginning of the night you're like oh how does he not end up in the nut? Oh there you go. Other other people scored 100 plus with first round finishes. They there you go. And then sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes you, you have a card that it's 12 fights and there's it's it's 10 decisions. And the winning score is like 517 or something. I mean, like something like that. Okay. But I'm still going to optimize and prioritize first round inside the distance finishes. That's going to be the highest weight for me. And that's why gone versus Lewis didn't read the betting lines were not good for a first round knockout of either fighter compared to some other fights on the slate. Or at least relatively, I mean, compared to their ownership. Right, we look at Cop. Cop had a 25% chance of winning the first round and Khan had 22%, Lewis had 11%. Cop was 19% owned. Gatto was 425, which is not that much different than Gone, right? 22 versus 19, but she's 18% owned. Gone was 46% done because he's in the main event. So that's all you're taking advantage of. I didn't predict what's going to happen. I didn't predict what happens at all. I just like, okay, here are the betting lines. I'm assuming the betting lines are efficient. And what is the field going to do? And who should I be playing more than others? Because based on that expected value, cop is way under owned. So I'm going to play more of him. He's worth more. That's it. And if he ends up with a first round knockout like he did, I'm going to have a very profitable day. And if he ends up getting beat, then half my lineups are dead. Right. But it doesn't, the ad, it's still plus EV regardless. It's like betting on a coin flip and getting three to one odds. It's like, I'm going to call heads and it comes up tails. And did I do anything wrong? No, I'm getting a three to one bet on even money probability. So predicting the outcome to me is, is not, who cares? As long as, I'm, as long as I'm able to make three to one bets on coin flips every day. I'll keep on saying heads or tails. It doesn't, I'll play, I'll, I'll pick whatever I want. That's the, that's the core of what DFS is. Let's see. Best beat boss, blender, personal question. How often do you pay yourself from your winnings? Well, I, 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 all my play is under my uh, S corporation. So like my S corporation pays my pay, pays me a salary every quarter. And so it's a way to funnel money and then take expenses of everything that I have 
Talk to a tax professional. If you if you're if you're playing professionally as your primary source of income, like for you, at least get an LLC or and then convert it over to an S corporation. And they could just for tax purposes. I have a I have a bankroll. It's like I, I don't have to pay myself. Like if I if a bill is due, I just pay the bill. Let's see, Michael Dompier, MLB question. Okay, let's let's we'll go over to MLB finally. Probably stupid question. You might have no insight on. Okay, well let's see. Let's see if I do. Cardi is on vacation. Any concerns at all about the bat projections? Are all good? No, he, when when he's on vacation, it doesn't mean he doesn't have his laptop with him. He's updating stuff. It he, most of the stuff is automated with the bat. Most of the stuff with most models is automated. The only thing that that uh, Cardi has to do is basically run the program and check on if there's pitch count, like pitch count type of things, pinch hit risk, things like like the the intangibles, like the the stuff. Well, uh, this guy may, you know, the uh, projected starter, you know, this guy may go somewhere between fifty to sixty five pitches. Well, if it never gets mentioned, maybe it gets projected for eighty seven pitches because no one knows. Right. So that type of stuff, it's, it's still being done. There's not much else. To, there's not much else to do. The, the model is saying he may not be back testing stuff and tweaking stuff in the back end to make it long term as accurate as possible. But as far as the day to day stuff, it, I mean, it, it works. Right. It's not like it's not like Cardi's working 16 hours a day, seven days a week normally. Kevin TG, might be a dumb question, but how do you know when you are making positive EV lineups? Well, you could simulate stuff. If you don't know how to do sims, there's another way of doing it. A, a, a good blunt way of knowing if you're building plus EV lineups is over a long period. In Rototracker, there's this thing called finishing position. Okay, because there's a lot of variance in DFS. Your goal is to put yourself in the position to get lucky towards the top. Because once you get into the top 100, top, that's definitely the top 10. You know, first place is X score. Fifth place is four points lower than that. That's in baseball, that's like a run, a run and a hit, a single RBI. That's it. The difference between 100,000 and 5,000, right? You're in 10th place. And you, and you, you, you have no, you have, you have a pitcher pitching. That's in the third inning. You're like, How, I'm, I'm down. I'm, I'm, I'm going to win this. And then they get blown up. Like if that pitcher just pitched two scoreless innings, you would have won 100,000. But because he didn't, you're now down in 14th place. Like th those small margins, but just getting lineups up there. That's your goal. So I, I gauge it outside of simulating the contests. Is you look at your 1% buckets in GPP. So you want to get more than your fair share in the top 1% of GPP contests. So here's my finishing position graph for GPPs over my lifetime. This is almost just under six years. So you want the top 1% in the top my finishing position for 1%, I'm getting 1.8% of my lineups. In. So almost twice as many more of the fair share of lineups. Top in the 2% percentile, I have 1.6%. So you want to see this red line? You want to see 
especially where all the, because the difference of coming in like, oh, I came in 10, the, the 9% percentile, the, the, these, these payouts and GPPs don't matter. Top 1% matters, top 0.1% matters. So typically, if you're getting more than 1% in the top 1%, you're breaking even. Typically like 1.2%, because remember the rake is like 15%. So you kind of have to get a finishing position of like 1.2% or more to be profitable. I mean, this is all generalities. So the higher you're getting them in, the better, the higher EV lineups that you're building. Obviously, this is over a long-term period. Can't judge this over the course of a week, right? This is like over the course of seasons, months, years. So you could see that if, for instance, you're you're getting, I've seen some graphs this season from people in uh, the Roto-Grinders Discord, people with a 1% finishing rate in MLB of 2.4%. Like they're getting way, they're getting 2.4% in the top 1% and they're, and they're losing money, right? And they're actually down money on the season. That's a sign that you're being, you're unlucky. You're playing well and variance is just not going your way because you're placing so many hot, like 2.4% of your lineups high, just that they're coming in 16th place. You're coming in 22nd place. You're coming in 12th place. Like you, you just... Didn't get that one, you know, the last at bat RBI double to get up into the good spots often enough. Now, on the other end, if you look at your finishing position graph, and let's say you're finishing only 0.8% of lineups in the top 1% over a long, a big sample size. Let's say you won $100,000. You won one of the GPPs. And you're actually up like, oh, I've been playing for two years. And uh, I'm up a total of $70,000 with a $100,000 win in there. And you look and then you've placed only 0.8% of lineups in the top 1%. Well, that means you're actually not playing well. You, you got lucky to win that $100,000. Actually, you're probably an unprofitable player in the long term. So that's a way to show that you got lucky to have that. But in a perfect world, you place X amount of lineups towards the top, you'll eventually, you'll eventually pick something, right? How often you should be? I don't know. This year, I've been a little bit unlucky, especially in MLB. I've been placing a lot more lineups in the top 1%. It just, I got a second place, but I got a lot of, a lot of 15s and 12s and 8s and stuff in that range. And the payout structure is so top-heavy that the difference from eighth to fourth is even dramatic. But this is a this is a good way to judge if you don't if you don't have access to some type of simulation methodology where you could basically take your projections and the actual ownership very very similar concept to this but you're actually running all the lineups in the you're basically running a simulation of all of, all of the lineups of, in the contest over and over again. And you do that 10,000, 100,000, however many times you want. Then you see what's the average profitability of those lineups based on your projections. I mean, you could do, you could do that regardless of top 1% or anything like that. And that's, that, that's probably a more accurate way to judge if you're building plus EV lineups. But a blunt way is just this. If you, if, 
I could tell you, if you're placing enough lineups in the top 1%, luck will come your way one of these days, right? You'll, you'll get that home run. You know, you're down 10 points or you're up and you're holding or whatever. Like, you'll get there. If this, if this, line, if this uh, graph, like if you put in your finishing positions into GPP, there, there, there's going to be uh, three main types of graphs. This type of graph, this is what a sharp player graph is going to look like. Heavy leaning towards the top over here and not much down here because there's so many dead lineups that it's, impo- it's almost impossible to come in last place. Uh, you'll see a graph that has it's flat. So if your graph is more flat, like maybe there's little peaks all over here, but it's more just like you're placing your fair share in almost every percentile. Like that's like a break even player. That's like, like just you're losing to the rink. Like you're placing your right frequencies across the board, but you're just bleeding money away. And then you have uh, the same type of thing, bleeding money away, the, 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 the bell curve. If yours looks, if you have a lot of spikes, like here in like the 16 to 28 range, like in this mid range over here. So it goes from a low, uh, it goes up like this and then down and slopes down. So you're getting a lot of lineups in this like meaty, you know, 15 to 40% range. That means you're probably playing lineups that are way too chalky. You're playing high projected lineups that min cash more often, but you know, you're coming, your top 1% perspective is like low. Like these, these percentiles come in very low, but you have very little down here also. So that's why it's like all, all of all of these results are kind of like in this range and you're down here and you're kind of down over there. That just means that you're playing, you're playing a lot of cash like lineups. You're playing a lot of double up type lineups. You're focusing way too much on projection, right? And building the best plays than building lineups that have leverage to win first place. And in the same rate of that flat type of finishing position graph, you're probably bleeding the same amount of money, right? You're probably losing to the rate. You're probably down 15, 20% lifetime in that sport doing that. So that this is this is a much better way of judging. Am I building good lineups? Am I building good lineups and getting unlucky? Am I building bad lineups and getting lucky? And you could you could also do this type of thing in a, probably in Excel or R or something. But obviously, if you have Roto Tracker, like it does it for me. There, easy, easy peasy. Go to the YouTube chat a little bit. James Martini, yes, this site is uh, Rototrack. Uh, Rotogrinders used to have a, a, a bankroll optimizer tracker thing or whatever. That wasn't as advanced as this, but still pretty good. But that was discontinued. You don't, Do you need all of this? No, not necessarily. But for at the level that I play at, yes, yes. I, I have no problem. Pay, it's like 15 bucks a month. And you pay up front for the whole year. It's like whatever. And, you, and if you have only play, if you're a single entry type of player, so you don't play that many contests, that many entries, I think it's like free up to like 25,000 entries in your CSV file. My CSV file has millions of entries. So it'll only count the first 25,000. If you're playing, ser- you're, you, you should be doing something like this if you're playing seriously. Even if you, oh, it, that I always view it from a standpoint, and I've said it before, uh, I could probably build something in Excel 
that is decent. That maybe not as not nowhere near as good as Rotor Tracker, but give me the stuff that I need. Right? Give me maybe make this type of graph in Excel. You know how long it would take me to do that? I'm not bad in Excel, but I'm not good in Excel. Some of these functionalities, I don't know. I would have to look up to see how exactly I would do this. So how long is it, that going to take me? Hours, if not days, if not weeks? Why not pay the 15 bucks? And it's done for me. And there you go. How much is your time worth? So that's how I view it as. If you're just tracking it, you should be tracking your bankroll regardless what you're doing well. And even if you'd log, like let some people log it in their own Excel file. They go, okay, I won this today and won that today, whatever. How much time does that take? So add up all that time. Is it worth it? Pay 15 bucks. There you go. If you're playing seriously, if you're not playing seriously, don't worry about it. If you're not playing seriously, don't, you don't have to say, do anything that I do. Right? You don't have to listen to me at all. Play whoever you want and have fun and whatever. Who cares? I base the show around people that want to play DFS seriously for a profit. Just like I do. Okay. Today's slate, I think we have to worry about uh, the Cubs game. I was on the, the Morning Grind podcast, so if you want to download that, I'm on everything today, right? Uh, not, not, not crunch time later today. Uh, but uh, the Morning Grind podcast, it's a, it's a five-game slate on DraftKings, four-game slate on FanDuel. I mentioned that there, there's potential wind blowing out in Wrigley, but according to Roth, uh, he, he thinks this game's in trouble of not playing. Major storms and everything. So uh, that may take a Peralta out of the equation. I may take the whole game out of the equation, which now even on DK turns it into a four-game slate, which takes Peralta out. So we're going to see a lot of uh, Musgrove, Musgrove plus Castillo, Giolito, Tyon, basically the four, you know, favored pitchers in these games. And the Yankees are going to be super chalk. I can't see how they're not chalk. But if we take a look at the bat stack projections, like, yeah, this is the wind is going to help the Brewers. So if the Brewers, if the Cubs game does play, I definitely like, like the Brewers. Just by, I mean, look at the difference in the ceiling projection. Ten points higher than the White Sox. But the Yankees are going to be chalky. And I, I prefer the White Sox. I prefer the Royals against Tyon. And I only say the White Sox, okay? White Sox are one of these teams, especially in the bat, that uh, the baselines of the White Sox players, the bat is lower on than more mo most models, okay? So understand that, that the, the, the prior of the, that lineup is much lower than other models. So whenever I see the White Sox project well as one of the top ceiling plays in the bat, I have to take notes. Like there are certain teams, the Oakland A's tends to be lower projected in uh in the bat just because they have that they, they they cardi goes a longer sample size in a different way of determining the players like just baseline skill so the yankees typically get a little bit of a hit uh the the a's the the astros the blue jays and, they, and they're those are pretty good teams and it's not like they never project badly but they typically are under projected in comparison to other models so those are the types of teams when I see, oh, the White Sox have one of the top ceiling projections. Like, like typically the bat doesn't like the White Sox. So that I, have to, I have to give it extra, like an extra little thing in my mind. 
right? The Marlins are putting out lineups that are Lewis Brinson has been in Cleveland. Okay. Musgrove is going to be, I mean, based on these projections, he, he's going to have to be chalk. I mean, he's the in the bat right now. He's the highest raw projected pitcher by five points over Peralta, over Giolito by eight points, over Castillo by nearly not eight and a half points. And he's 8,500. So on FanDuel, he's going to be chalk. I mean, if, if you go by this, I mean, look to the point per dollar versus everyone else. So obviously on a short slate, especially if the Cubs game gets, you know, rained out, postponed, like the leverage play is to play the Marlins. But the Marlins are so bad. Oh, I keep on going back to the same screen. I can't find all my screens. Like this Marlins team, 2.82 implied run total. Lewis Brinson batting cleanup. I mean, it's cheap. Sure, it's cheap. But that would, I mean, that would be that would be the leverage. It's not like we haven't seen Musgrove get blown up before. But I think, but I think, like I said on the Morning Grind podcast, my main goal on smaller slates is to find the easiest leverage possible. So whoever one of these pitchers is going to be owned, like I want to stack against. I want to stack against. If Tyon's going to get twenty plus percent ownership, I want to play the Royals. If uh, if Giolito is going to get twenty plus percent ownership, fine. It's just the teams that are up against like Henkes and Mills and Burrow, like those are the better teams, right? Because they have the higher implied run total. But there's only so many lineups that you can make. There's only five games, possibly only four games on the slate. So I'd rather play just like I said. For see, it goes back full circle to what I was talking about with the MMA. It's not about predicting who's going to win. It's about who, what is the ownership efficient. It's easier for me, just like in MMA, it was easier for me to be under on the highest owned fighters and build lineups without main event guys in it, right? And take shots at, at, uh, at nine to two, two, $8,800 and $9,000 $9, fighters that were only going to be, that were going to be under 20% owned when they should have been over 30% owned. So that's what I'm doing here in baseball also. What's the easiest path to first place on a low scoring slate? Well, if the Yankees are going to be chalked, Maybe I play Carlos Hernandez against them and then stack against uh, Castillo. I play the Indians. Like, is that the most likely thing to happen? No, it's very improbable. But the probability of it happening is X and the ownership of that type of lineup is going to be lower than. So it has more of a likelihood of happening than what they will be owned at, even though they're improbable outcomes. If I wanted the most probable outcomes, I'd probably play the Yankees plus the Reds, Musgrove and Castillo, you know, find some punt one-off play, play a 4-3-1 type lineup. It's like, dude, that's like the chalk lineup. It's going to be everyone's in your lineup. It's going to be 15, 20%, 30%, 35% on. How are you winning a first play, first place in a GPP with that? You need everything to go perfectly. And then it's still possible you duplicate it three times four times, five times, and you still need everything to go perfectly. And your score is going to be 230. That's the most probable, but your goal in DFS is to not worry about what's the most probable. The only, you'd, you wouldn't mind those lineups if they were still lower on than they should be, right? You tell me that type of lineup is still only going to be 3% on, then I play a ton of them. Sure. If, if all those guys don't, if the Yankees come in at 1% owned when they should be 30%, Give me all the Yankees. So, I mean, that, that that's the only consideration for me. They have the highest implied run total. They're going to be the, they have enough cheap bats to make, you know, make a stack. They're going to be the chalk. What's their efficient ownership? 
If they're chalky and still uh, enough people own other teams and the Yankees come in at, let's say, the stack comes in at 18%. That may be under owned. It may be the high, 18% may be the highest owned, but maybe they should be 24. That means I want to play the Yankees. But let's say they're 36% owned, but they should be 24. So they're, they're way over owned. So that means I want to play less of the Yankees. So if you understand that, Especially if you're new here, I know I repeat myself on these shows seemingly every every day with these concepts. That it's not about predicting whether or not the Yankees are going to do well, right? We have projections. We could we could we could cement some type of probability there. You go, is are the Yankees going to be the top stack more or less than their ownership? If it's going to be less than their ownership, side be more inclined to not play them. It's going to be more than if it's going to be less than their ownership, then be more inclined to play them. I mean, but you're not predicting what's going to happen. So obviously they're going to project well. They have the highest implied total. If you're playing cash games where you don't have to worry about coming in first place, sure, play all the Yankees you want. Go ahead. Let's see. Michael Dampier says uh, the Cubs versus Brewers is a division game. They aren't waiting to play until 10 p.m. Yeah, you're right. They'll just play. Uh, they play enough times together that they could reschedule now. Yeah, well, we'll we'll probably know that at some point today. And Dwayne Bowen says I'm going to stack a Cleveland and Kansas City. Funny, funny you should say that, uh, Dwayne. Uh, currently, I have a Cleveland plus Cincinnati five three lineup in uh, in in my two hundred and fifty dollar ball four entry. Right. You're you're mentioning the exact. You're, you're mentioning a lineup that that. I'm, I'm looking to play, right? Cleveland and Cleveland and, and Kansas City as of right now. But I mean, anything changed, right? Let's see what happens with this game. Let's see what happens. With, I mean, do we have anything else, right? He said some, is, is the Reds game? What's the weather? A few spotty showers of the Reds Indians. Okay, so whatever. Solid hitting weather. weather. So maybe, you know, Castillo has looked good, right? But this could be the day that he blows up, right? He blows up from one start and comes back and has three good starts. You never know what's going to happen. What's the probability of it happening? How much is it going to be owned? So the more the more that you play players and teams and lineups that have a better shot at winning than what they're really owned, you're going to you're going to be profitable over the long term. What's going to happen today? I don't know. So you keep on doing that day after day after day after day after day, just like I did in MMA. I didn't change my process. I refined it a little. I made more plus EV lineups rather than have some stragglers that were duplicated 70 times. But the, the entire time, just um, building lineups that have high win equity and just waiting for me to realize my EV. And first slate, no. Second slate, no. Third slate, no. And eventually 28th slate, 27, 26, 27, and 28. Bing, bong, bing. Right? And then I may go 20 slates of, you know, the next slate, uh, two weeks from now. I'm going to make the same types of lineups. And that may be the slate where the two fifty percent on fighters both win and score 120 points. Right. And the, and the cheap value play that's 34% owned. He gets a first round KO. And then I'm sitting there going, okay, well on, on to next week. Like I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have any of these types of lineups. And then someone did first place. It maybe first place ends up with only being a 27 way tie. And it's 100K to first. So uh, that's like, you know, every, everyone gets $12,000 maybe, 
And then everyone will be you know, tweeting out screenshots of, look at me. Me and all my 26 friends, I got $12,000. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, you over, over the, or if you replayed this, uh, you know, 10,000 times, you would have broken even. So there's really nothing. Yeah, 12,000. I'd, I'd rather have that lineup than, than the lineups I had. But in the long run, I'm just going to make more money in those instances. So you could, you could do that in any sport. And that's why you could learn those types of concepts in the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. It's me and James McCool. So if you want all of this in kind of like a structured education, so you don't have to pick bits and pieces out of the pregame show and my content and everything, it's like going to a seminar for 15 hours. doesn't matter what sport you play. This applies to everything. Game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits, psychology, do you want to learn how to build plus EV lineups and how to think like a professional DFS player? This 15-hour audio masterclass. You can just listen like, listen like a podcast. You listen to it and you listen, you play. You listen, you play. That's exactly how I learned how to play poker well. I read a lot of books, the two plus two books. And I'd read and then I'd go play. And then two days later, I'd read another book and then go play. And then I'd reread, you know, two weeks later, I reread the same book that I just read. And like, am I, am I, because I see it being executed. Go, okay, I, I understand this concept. Let me see if I could do it in real time at the table and think of all the variables and everything. And you're doing things slowly in the beginning, right? Things are coming to you like, okay, I need to think this and then that. So your process is a little bit longer. But after you, you do and then you read, you do and then you listen, right? You watch this show. And then eventually you get to the point where, you know, a year later, you're like, oh, that process that I had to think through for 40 minutes is like, it's like almost instinctual to you. You could look at a slate and when the span of five minutes go, yeah, I could see where, where, where I could find this and do, I, I could see where all these go. Maybe not like to the detail of exactly who, but you, you could look at a slate and go, this team's going to be under-owned. That team's going to be over-owned. This type of lineup construction, people are going to pay up at shortstop. They're going to pay down here. They're going to, okay, I, I could, you could start visualizing in your head like what these chalk lineups look like. And then once you can identify that, it's like, okay, how could I be different from this? Like if everyone's going to do this, how do I do that? And then you could, that starts coming to you really quickly. And then now you could start hand building and you could build five lineups, like no problem. Like, oh, 10 minutes, I can build five plus EV lineups, no problem. And then you go, okay, give me 10 minutes. I can do 10 of those lineups. And then you get to the point where it's like, oh, I get the scope of how to build these types of lineups. Now I'm going to use a tool like Lineup HQ, like an, like an optimizer, and I'm going to build 20, 30, 50, 100, 150, right? I'm going to take advantage of my skill by doubling down, by getting, giving me another plus EV lineup and another plus EV lineup and another plus EV lineup. And then you play, and over the course of a long period, you know, you go, you, those graphs, right? They, they trend upwards, but it's down, 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 big, big, down, 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 big, big, down, 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 big, big, and eventually... There you go. It's 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 not hard. I started with four hundred dollars in my account, so it's like it's we're not we're not talking about oh you need money in order to make money. It's exponential growth, right? You turn four hundred into four thousand, which makes it easier to turn four thousand into forty thousand, and forty thousand is much easier to turn into four hundred thousand. You got to start somewhere. I'm not special or anything. These aren't. I, I didn't make up these concepts. This, this game theory. I'm just communicating. Right, just like Neil deGrasse Tyson didn't didn't invent physics, he's just a science communicator. 
Anything else in the YouTube chat before we get out of here? Ready for soccer this weekend? Yes. EPL is back on, on Saturday. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll mention something on for maybe Friday because we have no MMA on, on they're off this week. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll show you a little EPL English Premier League stuff on, on Friday uh, for, for, the, for the opening weekend slate for, for, for uh, English soccer. Uh, M99 for Cop, Gatto, and Morales report for you. Yes. If you take a look at my exposures, my top exposed fighters, like 30% or more, is like up here. So I cop highest Gatto and Morales at 35. A lot of that, I targeted fights primarily. Right, so I had a lot of Rodriguez and Morales. I had a lot of Gatto and Leonardo. I had a lot of Menafield and Herman. I had a lot of Munoz and Simmons. I didn't have much Ode Osborne with my Manuel Cop. So really, it's kind of like I want to make as many combinations with these fights because I believe, based on what I'm looking at in my spreadsheet, that the winner of these, the winning scores of these winning fighters, are more likely to be hundred plus point optimal type scores. And they're being underowned. The fight as a whole is being underowned by some extent. Jason Kurtz. So if I'm playing a five-man less owned stack, how important is it to play less chalky pitchers? Or do I already have the leverage I need? Yeah, you, you may already do. It depends on the size of the contest. So if you're playing the large, if you're playing a large field contest, you need more leverage. If you're playing a small field contest, you need less leverage. So in a in a in a small field contest, if you play if you play a one if you play one of the lowest owned stacks, like the, the rest of your lineup, just jamming the trough. They're jamming the best projected the projections from there. You're already different enough to beat what three hundred entries. That's good enough. Like fading the top owned pitcher. There's going to be a pitcher that's going to be sixty five percent owned, and you're playing a three hundred man contest, and you're just like I'm just not going to play that guy. Like that, that may, that may be good enough for that contest. It's just not playing them may be fine in a large field. You, you may need more large field, 30,000, 40,000 entries, 50,000 entries. Maybe you need, maybe you need a little bit more, but it depends on how low owned the stack is. And it depends on what the ownership of the entire lineup is. Right. So it's, it's, it's a matter of what all 10 look together. So it's quite possible to still play a less chalky pitcher. If you want to play a more like the, if you're pulling a five man stack that's low owned and you play the chalky pitcher and this is large field, maybe that three man is, is a, another low owned, but let's say you don't play the chalky pitcher. Then you can play the chalk three man, right? Let's say like the Yankees today. It's go like, Oh, the Yankees are going to be over owned. Yeah. But if you play a two low owned pitchers and a low owned stack, you can play a three, you can play judge Stanton, Odor three-man, Voigt or whatever three-man in that lineup. But that three-man in another lineup may be awful, maybe too chalky, but too, like, yeah, you'll, you'll, you have a good shot at min-cashing with that lineup, but probably not a, good, not a great shot at winning first. That's what lineups, not players, means. So you, you could make a plus EV lineup with nearly any player in the player pool. Even the worst player, just that the five other people have to have enough projection and leverage to make up for it. And it may still be plus EV, depending on the contest that you're in. So go to theoryofdfs.com. Check that out if you want the course. Uh, we got, we got crunch, I think it's a free crunch time. Tonight's weird tonight, right? Because we got 
two, we got Vandal not having the early game, but DK having the early game. I believe it's 545. I believe you'll, you'll see the thumbnail. You'll see, you'll see the thumbnail on YouTube, 545 tonight uh, uh, for, for crunch time with Roth. And I think G's or cards or someone they'll, they'll people will be on uh, later today. Uh, so uh, hit that thumbs up on your way out the door. Check out the video on the YouTube channel. If you want a much more detailed look into my MMA DFS process, uh, check that out. Like that video, right? Share it with your friends, share it with on Twitter, whatever, you, whatever you can do. Uh, give me those thumbs up for the apple juice. Subscribe if you're new here. Notification bell, hit that notification bell to know when we go live because this is what I do, right? I know we didn't have James today, but this is the type of show that I do every day. We review stuff. Baseball, basketball, MMA, whatever, whatever it is, the DFS pregame show. So, uh, so yeah, this is this is what I do. So, if you like it, come back every Monday through Friday at eleven o'clock Eastern for the DFS pregame show on RotoGrinders.com.